you're listening to Crunch Time. Kruk and Mad Max bring you the hottest takes, the most up-to-date facts, and sports news around. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Crunch Time, episode 48. We are joined, as always, with Mad Max. Max Williams, how you doing? Kruk, I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm living the dream one day at a time. We're also joined with the music man, Dylan Mendoza. Dylan, how's it going? I'm doing good, Kruk. How are you doing? Good. Um... For those of you who don't know, Dylan actually joined our broadcast team. He's been doing uh, scoreboard and music for the baseball games this summer at Avila, and uh, Max, Mad Max has been the play-by-play guy, and I've been filling in at color, so I mean, you know, like, we definitely see enough of each other over the weekend, <laughs> yeah, so that's for sure. Yeah. But let's jump right into things. We're starting off the slate with XFL. What else do you want to start with? And Max, give us a recap right now. What are some of the big things that people need to be on the lookout for? Well, you better be looking out for the D.C. defenders because they are a valuable team. I mean, you got a quarterback right now on their team with De'Ara King as well as Jordan Tamu, and they're playing outstanding football, Crook. And how their defense played against the Battlehawks, I mean, I thought it was a competitive team. And then, Crook, I know you're going to love this. The beer snake that they had at the, at the games, it's incredible, man. It's an environment. Like, those fans in D.C., they care about the XFL and their team, which is very good to see for sure. I mean, I've been the Battlehawks a lot of credit still, I mean, because they almost had a chance to win again. They've already came back in their first two games, right, against both teams and almost came back to beat the defenders. So that's a team to watch for sure in the Battlehawks. Seattle Sea Dragons won their first game. That was a big-time win for them. I think they're going to be a team to watch out for sure. Ben DiNucci is a great quarterback for them. Used to play for the Dallas Cowboys, if you remember that name, and now again is playing here as their starting quarterback for the Seattle Sea Dragons. But... The team that I'm still looking at as probably being the best team, even though I like the defenders a lot, is the Houston Roughnecks. I really like how they're playing. Their defense is solid. Brandon Silvers, I believe he played at Arkansas State, if I'm corrected right. I mean, granted, looking at his stats right now, just kind of checking out what he's had. He's already thrown for, it looks like here, Crook, 723 yards on already 64 completed passes out of just 105 attempts. And so, like, that's something to keep an eye on. Seven touchdowns, three interceptions, right? That's the stat line there for Brandon Silvers. But I just like how competitive their team is. They they look like a complete team. I think it's going to come down to, right now, how Houston is playing and D.C. is playing because those are the top two teams right now. In the north, it's D.C. In the south, it's Houston. So I think those are going to be two teams at the end, Crop, even though we got six weeks left. Where are you leaning? <clears throat> Where are you leaning, Dylan Mendoza? Me, <clears throat> I see the Houston Houston Roughnecks. They're just they're just a big compatible compatible team. They could uh, go out and play. They their defense is amazing, standout defense. They have five interceptions total right now, or six, uh, one of those five or six interceptions. But Houston Roughnecks are going off right now. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, like I don't mean to just join in on the choir and all three of us bandwagon, but I'm a Houston Roughnecks fan. I started off week one being a fan, and they've just they haven't disappointed yet. So I, you know, I'm a fan of that. I also I'm a big guy for the rushing game, right? So like, yes, passing's fun and all, but rushing wise, I mean, you got Max Borgie who is rushing the ball for Houston, and you know he's got 143 yeah. yards on 35 attempts. There's only two people better than that. Abram Smith for the D.C. Defenders. Defenders. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got 156 on 39 attempts. And then Morgan Ellis on, I believe, is that? Seattle Sea Dragons. Seattle Sea Dragons. Yes. That's what I thought. For some reason, I was thinking, like, 
uh, New Jersey Swamp Dragon. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. You can see it either way. But he's got 170 rushing yards on 30 attempts. So, I mean, honestly, like, they're still uh, – offensively, they are up there, right? Offensively, they are good. And I think defensively, they're just as good, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, I don't think their defense really falls off, like, as bad as some other teams do. Yeah, I mean, a couple other things that I noticed too, Crook. I mean, if you guys remember this name for the Seattle Sea Dragons, Josh Gordon. He came in, he had the game-winning score against the Vegas Vipers in that game. And Josh Gordon, listen, he was a great time receiver when he was in the NFL. Again, had problems with drug performance policies, kind of held him back, and then he tried to find a way to get back in the league, and then kind of just fell off a little bit towards the end. But that's a name that I think, if we're looking at these players that go from the XFL to the NFL, which is... That's why these leagues are built still, to try to get these players still to play, but have a chance maybe to go to the NFL or another big-time league. We could see Josh Gordon possibly go back. If he keeps his record up straight and he does what he has to do, he could be a guy to watch, obviously, for that team. And I mean, I, I just like another wide receiver, too, looking at the wide receivers, and Deontay Burnett for the Houston Roughnecks. He is a big-time receiver. Looking at the stats here, Crook, he's actually got right now 125 receiving yards. And so that's, he's not the leading receiver on the team, but he's a big-time threat in just his presence, how he plays. And I think they already can see the connection happening between him and already Brandon Silvers. And I think that's going to be very interesting to watch how when the Roughnecks keep going in the season, how they will play. Because I think they are the front-runner right now in the XFL at the moment. Absolutely. Any final thoughts on the XFL, Dylan? No final thoughts. I got none. And I figured out where I got the New Jersey um, – the New Jersey Swamp Dragons from. Where'd you get it from? So when when Brooklyn was thinking about changing their um they're thinking about actually rebranding the Brooklyn Nets, mm-hmm. it was they were about to be called the Swamp Dragons. Really? Out, out of the thirty two people Dragons. out of the thirty two people mm-hmm. who went to vote, it had to be unanimous, right? Mm-hmm. And like thirty one of them were like, We don't care, whatever, doesn't matter, the Brook Brooklyn Nets suck. And this last guy's like, yo, are we really about to do this? Like, we, we can't do this. So he voted against it, and now we have the the Nets who, well, we're going to kind of skip ahead to NBA, but, you know, they kind of got gutted during the trade deadline. <laughs> but looking at it, um, spring training is the best time to see top prospects for the MLB. Max, what is one top prospect that you think is going to make the ascension into the majors this year? Oh, I mean, I, I don't have any off the top of my head, so I'm going to look at your thing real quick here, Krug. I think looking at some of these names, Jason Dominguez here for the Yankees, right? Looking at it, they kind of talked to him about it. I mean, they play in different leagues, right? So if you have in one league, there's the, they're fun names, Grapefruit League. <laughs> it's got a fun name. And then I believe there's the, what, the Cactus League, Cactus I believe, too, Cactus League. Um, so I think for him, I think for the Yankees, right? They're trying to still be who they are, right? They want to keep players that they want to get they want to keep getting speed they want to show the talent so I think Dominguez will be a big threat there for the Yankees I guess one other quick one here too as well um Lawrence Butler for the athletics I think he's going to be another guy to watch again looking at it I he's uh, information he was hitting 0.6 with a home run three doubles triple six RBIs two stolen bases again just trying to read off the stats everybody see what's up but um I think, obviously, he's going to be a big fit for the Athletics, a team that's still building, I think, as a roster, right? They want to be the same in the AL as well. So I think those are two prospects I'm looking at, correct? Mendoza, what about you? 
No, uh, yeah, to piggyback off of that, sorry to cut you off, Dylan. <laughs> to piggyback off of that, I mean, Lawrence Butler, he's going to start off the season in double-A. That that's probably where he's yeah. going to start. And I could see him being called up before the end of the season, if not even before the All-Star break. I mean, the guy's hitting 600, and he's hitting for power yeah. as well with three doubles, you know, a triple, a home run. I mean, he can, he can put bat on ball, and when he does, it'll go a long way. Uh, but you spoke about Jason Dominguez, and I have always been a fan of his. Uh, actually, I first learned about him in MLB The Show last year, and that's when I started like really looking into him. And he is a switch-hitting center fielder mm. that the Yankees have, and he's one of the top prospects. And um, aside from just hitting from both sides of the plate for power, he also has a cannon of an arm, and it's usually pretty accurate. There's not a whole lot of um, wild throws coming out of that center field slot, and Another thing, looking up and down this list at every single team's top prospect, somehow, like, the, I would say the majority of teams, right? Over 50% of these teams, their top prospect is in a spot where they don't need somebody. Like, the Yankees outfield. Do they really need another outfielder? No, but they have Jason Dominguez. The athletics, they need just about anybody, so an outfielder is not the end of the world. But then you look at the White Sox. They have a um, top prospect... And let me get back up to him. Top prospect in Oscar Colas, who is an outfielder. And you look at their outfield, their outfield's good. You got Elo Jimenez, they got Luis Robert, and then the uh, right field spot, you know, you throw in whoever you want. So, I mean, maybe put him out there, but honestly, like, you really don't need him. And then looking at the Astros, they have another outfielder. You look at the Astros outfield, and, I mean, there's not a whole lot of room for extra people. Uh, another one that I was personally looking at, if I can find him again just real quickly, was going to be Cardinals outfielder and DH Jordan Walker. So far, he had two home runs in one game against the Nationals. He was absolutely lighting it up. Um, another one, the Pirates, they have a catcher in Andy Rodriguez. And who is the three big Pirates, Max? Do you know any of the three, or is that is that really my domain? Mm, this is up going to your territory here, Crap. Go so ahead. you got Key Brian Hayes at third. You got Brian Reynolds in center field, and you got Jacob Stallings catching. See, yeah, that's, that's so, all I mean, you. I would have got you don't, that's all my You head. don't need a catcher. <laughs> yep. You don't need a catcher if you're the Pirates, but it's hard for a catcher to learn a different position because you have to be a catcher for however long. And, I mean, his last three years, he hit 323, he hit 407, and he hit 590 with 25 home runs across three different levels. And he was, you know, named the Pirates Minor League Player of the Year. So mm-hmm. he is good. Um, looking at the Reds, kind of something in your domain, they have a first and third baseman in Christian Encarnacion Strand. Mm. And who is the Reds' first baseman? Uh, Joey Votto. Right Are they going to get rid of him anytime soon? Uh, not at the moment. That's what I'm not seeing. Who is your, <laughs> who is your third baseman? feels tough for me. I probably should know that information, but I don't because like I haven't paid it in the Reds in a long time, Crux. So. Unless unless he got traded, it's still Mike Moustakis. Uh, Mike Moustakis. Yeah, is I think he's third. still yeah, so, he's I mean, still on there, yeah. So I mean he's getting old, his production's starting to fall off a little bit. Uh-huh. So I mean that is actually a smart one in my opinion, because now you have, you know, Mike Moustakis who can be a DH, mm-hmm. who can be a shortstop, second baseman, or first baseman. You have Joey Vado who would perform, in my right. opinion, just as well at that mm-hmm. DH spot. So the Reds actually did well, it right. And I'll say this, right? The Reds are in a rebuild anyway, right? They need any players that they can get because they've got rid of a couple players that were good. I mean, Suarez was there for a period of time. Now he's with the Mariners. Jesse Winker, which I thought he was a big-time player as well, now gone as well. 
So, I mean, there's a lot of players that the Reds need to kind of rebuild on. So, I think probably getting that type of player, maybe an athletic person, is going to be huge for the Reds in the future. And one last one is the Padres left-handed pitcher Jay Grome or Gromey, however you want to, I don't know how to professionally say it. He's not their top prospect, if you will. Their top prospect is Jackson Murrell, who is 19 years old as a shortstop, and he is not playing his age. He's playing like he's been in the league for three, four years, right? He's wow. playing lights out, amazing. But you look at that shortstop position, I mean, you just got Xander Bogarts. You have Fernando Tatis Jr., who's right. now moved to the outfield. Yeah, and they have another um, foreign player by the last name of Kim. I'm not even going to try the first name. I just butcher <laughs> it. But, I mean... So as a shortstop, that's going to be a tough position to get into. That mm-hmm. infield is basically set, right? Yeah. You got uh, either Joey Vaught. Is Vaught still with him, or did uh, he go to the Nationals? Uh, I don't think he's with the Padres anymore. Oh, yeah, I think he got traded. Dylan, Dylan corrected me on that. Um, but, I mean, the, that shortstop position stacked. You got Manny Machado at third. Your second baseman is either going to be Eric Hosmer mm-hmm. or um, – who was the other one? They had Jake Cronenworth, yeah. right? Those are going to be your two second basemen. So that infield's stacked. Yeah. So if you are a shortstop or a position player, you have to learn how to play as many positions as you can so you can come up and be that utility player. Because you look at some of these big-time names, they're all utility players. Like, And I'm talking old-school big-time names, like uh, Stan the Man Musial. You could play all three positions in the outfield. You could play first, you could play third. You look at Joe Torre, the old-school catcher for the Braves. He played catcher first, second, third, and right field, and left field. You look at, like, the great players, and the one that comes to my mind, because I'm a Brewer fan, is Robin Young. He mm-hmm. could play yeah. third, short, oh, yeah. second. He could play anywhere in the outfield. So, I mean, if you want to be a household name, you want to be somebody who gets called on when the lights are on and it's a big moment, you have to be able to play many positions because – in college baseball, like we see, you can pull a guy to pinch hit for right. him and put him back in. Yep. In the major leagues, when you get pulled from a game to get pinch hit for, you can't go back in. So if Tatis Jr. is having a bad game and they want to pinch hit for him, you can't put him back in the game. He's done for the game. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess I get your point. I mean, I'll just say this quick about the Padres and kind of had a fun debate when I was back on my show, right, about who was better, like the Padres or the Dodgers, right? And I always was talking about the Padres as a team that – I still believe can win the AL West over the Dodgers. And I say that because of how their team is built now with their pitching staff. And those players that you mentioned, they've got them to contracts that they do. What they're doing is they're spending up like the Dodgers are. Dodgers are the market that everyone wants to get because they're an L.A. market. Now you're looking at it now, you're looking at the Padres, you're like, I'm not trying to go to San Diego. So these type of players are realizing that. And I think now the Padres are a team, just how young they are, how experienced they might get with the pitching staff. They could be a threat to the Dodgers in the NLS for sure. Here's one thing I'm going to say about the Padres, and I truly believe it. I could see them trading early on in the season for a catcher. Their catcher's not bad. By no stretch of the imagination is he mm-hmm. terrible. But because of how young he, because of how young they are, I could see them trading for a you know, 25 to 28-year-old catcher who's been around the league, who's done it a couple of times, and has that postseason experience to get the team, when they get to the postseason, to get them in the right mindset. Because you look at the first postseason Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado made for the Padres, they got dropped in the wild card by Mm -hmm. the Cardinals. Last season they got dropped from the – did they even make the playoffs last year? They they were definitely close, but I don't think they made it. Maybe a wild card. They did. They did make it, I believe. I remember last year the Padres did, yeah. But either way, you just you need yeah. experience. You need somebody who's yeah. been there, who's had the lights on them, who has played in October, who has played in November, so you can 
get the team to rally around them. And even if they aren't the best player in the world, right? Even if they're not like a lights out, you know, perfect player ever. Like, look look at Gary Sanchez. Is he the best catcher in the world? No. No. He's got a good arm. He's got a good power bat, but he can't make contact, right? He would be a good guy to put behind the plate. Um, Look at some other catchers. You've got, uh, who's the catcher for the Braves? Travis Darno. Yeah. Pick him up, because now the Braves still have uh, William Contreras, Wilson Contreras' brother, who can catch for him. But now you have Travis Darno as your catcher, who has been there, who has done it, who knows how the game is played in the postseason. That's a huge pickup, and I see San Diego being unstoppable. Right now, as of as of 12-50, March 6th, 2023, <laughs> I think the Dodgers are going to win the NL West. If the Padres do not pick up a good catcher, all right, hey, fair point. I mean, we'll see, right? We got we got obviously opening day coming up in a month, so we I can't wait to see what's going to happen, Crook, for sure. And transitioning over into NBA standings and news, Max, what did we miss in the NBA? Well, Crook, I mean, we missed um, the Boston Celtics and the Knicks had a double overtime game yesterday, and the Boston Celtics, actually, the Knicks won that game. Actually, that was amazing, and. Remember a couple years back, right? I mentioned about the Knicks, right? They were a team that, you know, we thought I was going to do well, and then we made fun of me with the Knicks, but I don't know anymore. You know what I'm saying? They're, well, at, yeah, the, they're, they're at the fifth spot right now. Ohio and, doesn't have a NBA yeah, team, they, right? So you can be a Knicks fan. <laughs> oh, no, the Cavaliers. They got the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, I mean, a real <laughs> NBA team. Yeah, really. Because <laughs> I'm not a biggest Cleveland fan, if people have noticed, because I am a Bengals fan. But that's another topic. We're not talking NFL. But... I don't know. I like how the Knicks are playing with their young stars, for real, though. I think Julius Randle, how he's playing. I also kind of like how they got Jalen Brunson. To me, adding Jalen Brunson to the Knicks has changed their atmosphere. They kind of changed how he was. I liked him. I thought he was even better around than Luka when he was there because he kind of was a player that was overall leading the team. And I think that's important for a team like the Mavericks, right? Now, granted, Kyrie Irving is there, right? And he's done a very good job with them. But I think that Jalen Brunson, if it wasn't for him, the Mavs would have not been in that spot where they were. Now, Luka's still a great player. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm getting at is you've got to have more players that are around you that can shoot, distribute the ball, and make plays. And that's what Jalen Brunson can do. And that's why the Knicks are at the fifth spot right now at 39-27. and 27. And so looking at it, I think he is a player that everyone shouldn't sleep on in this league. And another team I'm really watching as well is the Boston Celtics. I've kept saying it for a while. Jason Tatum is a player that people are still sleeping on still. And he's playing outstanding. Al Horford is still doing a great job, even at that age he's at. I mean, the Bucks are still there, Crook, in the East. And, I mean, we're still talking and looking at the West now here. Phoenix Suns are starting to get back their groove with Kevin Durant. I think that's going to be big for their team. I mean, First of all, I like the combination between Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Both of those two guys together are showing how they're shooting the ball. And I think that's very important to watch. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies are a team you can't sleep on. I think, obviously, we all know the information about John Morant. We're not going to get into that right now because well, hey, unless Max, you want in, to. Do you in want case, to? In case the people don't know, <laughs> what happened with John Morant? You know what? You want to you explain, Kirk? So, John Morant um, <laughs> is going to miss a couple of games because he was filmed in the locker room yeah. holding a piece. And I'm not talking like a piece of pie or a piece of candy, like a weapon in the locker yeah. room. And also on his mm-hmm. own 
in his own home, he has allegedly beat up a 17 or 19-year-old. Uh, I think they said it was a 19-year-old. And so he's, he's yeah. just... The talent is getting to him, if you will. Yeah. Like, that's, ev- everybody has well, those growing pains, but... Yeah. And he, you don't want yeah. that for your team right now, especially for the Grizzlies. That's your player. And if you lose John Morant, I don't know what the Grizzlies are going to do. No. I really don't. And the team that I'm still wondering about a lot is the Sacramento Kings. They're at the third spot right now. I don't know if they are for real yet or they're still going. You know what I'm saying? Granted, this is the first half of the season. We're still figuring it out. But the Aaron Fox is a guy that's starting to evolve as a big-time player in the NBA. A lot of people are not talking about him, Kruk, but how he's playing is huge. And I think looking at it, the Kings are a team you just – they might not be the flashiest team. might be the team that everyone thought they shouldn't be there in that situation. But – I think people got to keep an eye on the Sacramento Kings as we go on to the second half of the season. They might be a team that could stumble the Nuggets, maybe the Suns, maybe even a team like the Clippers, which are still, I think, still a valid team, even though they're in the play-in tournament right now at the eighth spot. I think they're going to be a valuable team in the Western Conference. So, yeah, Crook, if I had to be the team to watch, I mean, the New York Knicks, again, I'm staying with my Knicks like I did a couple years back. I think they are a team, when they got everyone together and how they play, they're going to do very well. No, yeah, Dylan. What do you? What do you? I know you're a Phoenix Suns fan, so you're probably happy that KD's over there. I am. He ended with uh, 36 points yesterday's game. No, 37. Excuse me. Devin Booker ended up with 36 in yesterday's game against the Mavs. That was a, a good game to watch. Yeah, there. it really was. Devin Booker at the Suns end. I mean, Mavs, um, yeah. yes, uh, Kevin Durant at the end of the game, 12 seconds less with a with an amazing shot, just a, a nice floater. It was it was a it was a nice game to watch. Yeah, the uh, the team that I am sleeping on, if you will, is the uh, Clippers. I don't think, I don't think the Clippers are going to end up performing well now that they picked up Russell Westbrook. You know, you saw Russell Westbrook's production with the uh, Lakers on a loaded team, and now he's going to another loaded team with the Clippers. I I just I don't know. I don't know how he's going to pan out or perform because it's hard. And I yeah. I put I put my feet on the soapbox yeah. and I'm not gonna waver. Russell Westbrook is a one man team. You put him on a team, and he will like he had in OKC. He'll perform yeah. well when it's just him and role players. You put him on teams with other superstars, and now you're asking him to share the ball and being a triple double king and being the triple double leader. It's hard to share the ball when you're right. supposed to be getting triple doubles. Well, and I'll say this about Russell Westbrook specifically, right? I think. I don't always agree that he needs to be a one-person show all the time. And I say this because you look at his time when he was with OKC with Kevin Durant and James Harden, right? He had valuable pieces, and they had a good run when he was there. And those two guys are still great players in the league, right? We know Kevin Durant is an all-star, and James Harden, when he plays and is healthy and doesn't try to you know, do anything crazy, he's a great-time player as well, balling out for the Sixers right now. So I think, to me, going to the Clippers is going to be like a re- Kind of like a revitalizing thing for Kev- for Russell Westbrook. I think with the addition that Paul George is, he's a shooter. He's not like a great like moving, taking, driving guy, but I think he's a great shooter that makes plays for your team. And I think I like that for Russell Westbrook. Is because if you got a guy that can pass out and shoot it to him, then that's a valuable part. And I think that will be important as the season goes by because I think the Clippers are a team that might actually make it not in the playing tournament anymore, they might slide in like a five or six slot for me in the Western Conference. So 
the the NBA is always built on rivalries, right? Every every major sport is built on rivalries. It used to be Golden State and Cleveland back when it was Steph versus LeBron, right? What is the rivalry in the NBA now? What what do you think the rivalry is? The the number one rivalry, the, the big number one. one, the number one rivalry. Let's see. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go with that question. I mean, I still like like the Boston Celtics when they play like the Sixers and stuff. I kind of like that matchup because both of those teams are like still top of their league, right? You got Jason Tatum that's still playing well. Joel Embiid is playing well. It's like, and both of those cities are very like hard for their sports teams. Like Boston, you know, is a sports town. They care about everything. They got the Bruins, you know, you got the Patriots that are around, and you got the Celtics, which have been a team that everybody kind of knows as they go on, right? And if you look at it for the Sixers, right? Philadelphia is a team that, you know, they got the Eagles that just went there to the Super Bowl. You got another sports team. They, you know, they have the Rocky movies all there located. I mean, hey, they're a sports town as well. So I think that rivalry between Boston and the Sixers at the moment are kind of an interesting one to watch here as we go on the season. I like how you just casually forget to say that the Philadelphia Phillies are from, you know, Philly and then also the Boston Red Sox are from Boston. Like, Two of the biggest franchises you see, in both I forgot markets. The baseball, yeah, I forgot the baseball mentioned because I thought, oh, maybe you, you mentioned them, you know, because you're the baseball guy. All right, Dylan, what are the biggest, what's the biggest rivalry in your opinion? Biggest rivalry in, rivalry in NBA, correct? Um, I, don't, I don't see a, a big rivalry between any team right now. What about you, Kirk? Man, one that like has started to evolve for me, and it started before Kevin Durant got to Phoenix, but Phoenix and the Mavericks. Excuse me, I burped. Phoenix and the Mavericks. Oh, I that's, see, that's a good one. That's I good see one. that rivalry developing and getting better because Devin Booker has enormous respect for Luka Doncic and vice versa. They both respect each other nonstop, but, I mean, the games are always close. Like, like we just watched with Kevin Durant hitting the buzzer beater with 11.7 seconds left. I mean... These games are not going to just be blowout, washout games. These are going to be tough games, and these are going to be primetime NBA TV. You're going to see them on TNT. But we spent enough topic on NBA. Moving over into college hoops, we'll start off with the men's bracket. I believe all top four teams in NCAA actually lost, which is going to put KU at now number one overall, and they're going to go to... Des Moines now, which means Houston has dropped down to the Denver, the Denver quadrant. So now Houston has to go to Denver. UCLA is still going to Sacramento. Alabama is still playing in Birmingham, so that's home field advantage, if you will. And Des Moines, I mean, they're playing in. That's pretty. Or, yeah, Kansas, Kansas is playing in Des Moines, Iowa, so it's not far, but. I don't know. Like last week, we talked about our predictions and we talked about the standings. I mean, this week, I, I how much changes for you, Max? It's a lot has changed, right? I mean, the top five have changed tremendously. I mean, I think for UCLA, that's a team to watch right now. They're getting hot at the right moments. And, you know, you just beat a team that's Arizona. And Jamie Haquez, a guy that was a great-time player, he can he's a double-double guy. He can get rebounds. He can shoot the ball. And Tiger Campbell, he's been there for a long time for UCLA. Um, you know, they've been, you know, their perennial team right now. And I think... They're going to be a team to watch, even in the Pac-12 tournament. I think they might actually have a chance to win the Pac-12 tournament, probably over Arizona, USC, one of those teams. But Alabama, Crook, you and me have talked about Alabama in the past, right? I mean, we finally saw them lose kind of a close game 
this weekend, the Texas A&M, a team that a lot of people even couldn't sleep on. Texas A&M is a valuable team, even though they have about 10 losses. If you're watching a team that's an 8-9 spot, I would not sleep on Texas A&M, how they play. Um, the team, though, that I would probably still be scared of is Houston. I mean, Houston, now they had to grind it out against Memphis this weekend. And Memphis, listen, going to Memphis in that hostile environment, that is crazy to watch. But I like just how Houston is playing. Like, they have, when things go downhill, they have leaders that find a way to come back. And that's what kind of Alabama doesn't have. I don't think so yet. UCLA has got players, but they're not like Houston's strength. And that's what I believe why Houston is a team, even though they're located in the East region right now, according here to ESPN here, Crook, I think they're still going to find a way to get up there to the Final Four. And granted, the Final Four is in Houston this year. So, like, what a home field advantage that would be for Houston if they can get there. So, I think that would be big time for the Cougars if they can find a way to get all the way to the Final Four and try to make some history for the city of Houston, Crook. Yeah, and I mean... Uh, we've talked about it plenty of times. I think that there's going to be a decent amount of upsets coming in. I think the Des Moines bracket is going to be like the only bracket where there's the least mm-hmm. amount of upsets. I think Birmingham is going to be upset city. I think New York, um, or pardon me, the Denver one is going to be just an absolute upset station. I think Arkansas beats Illinois in the opening round. I see Oral Roberts beating St. Mary in that 5-12 spot. And another one I see, I see Rutgers beating Duke 6-11. and 11. I see that one because I think Duke is going to go into it expecting to be a higher seed. They're going to get upset, and they're not going to get, you know, a top five seed. So they're going to be upset, and they're going to be playing down, and they're going to have to come from behind. I do see Iowa beating Pittsburgh in the 7-10 spot. I see Texas beating um, Youngtown State. I see Texas going, you know, either head-to-head with Houston, or they're going to end up being the ones getting dropped by Tennessee, and I can see Tennessee-Houston in the yeah. Elite Eight. Looking at, at the East region now specifically, as we look at, according here to ESPN as well, UConn is a team that still people cannot sleep on in this bracket. I mean, UConn was actually undefeated for a period of time until they lost a couple of games in the Big East. I think them can make actually a run and could give Houston some problems if they can meet each other probably there in the Elite Eight. I think that's a team to watch. I, don't, I think Duke's going to find a way to beat Rutgers. I think Duke's got the experience. I think they're kind of well-rounded over Rutgers, and Rutgers has been on and off the entire year, in my opinion. Um, looking again just at the West here real quick, um, I kind of like, let's see, Auburn and Michigan State's an interesting matchup to me because Auburn is one of those teams that they have been they don't know if they're going to get in yet, right? They're kind of on the bubble situation, see how they do in the SEC tournament. But Michigan State, they're good sometimes, and they show them they're bad. Now, granted, they played one of the toughest schedules in college basketball this season, playing a lot of tough teams earlier in the year. But I think Auburn is a team that, with their experience from a couple years back, making all the way to the Final Four, they have that with Bruce Pearl. And so that 11-6 matchup in the West, I think Auburn can be Michigan State over there. So that's an upset I'm watching. Now, granted, we don't know yet until we see Selection Sunday, which will be on Sunday, obviously, that's why it's called Selection Sunday, at, um, I believe, 6 o'clock at night. So we'll see for sure for, you know, as next week we go on, as the bracket unfolds, correct. And moving forward into NCAA women's college yeah. hoops, South Carolina went undefeated 32-0, and and I've talked about the stat before. I finally came prepared to this show. Max, when was the last time an undefeated team won the national championship? Uh 
Can't think it off the top of my head. What do we got, Karate? 2016, UConn went 32-0. and 0. In 2014... I'm probably going to say UConn, because UConn obviously, you know, had that... The pedigree that they've had in the past, so... In 2014, UConn went 40-0. In 2012, Baylor went 40-0. In 2010, UConn went 39-0. In 2009, UConn went 39-0. And in 2002, UConn went 39-0. Before that, you go back to the 98 Lady Volunteers who went 39-0. Huskies back in 95 going 35-0. And then the very first time it ever happened was the 86 Texas Longhorns went 34-0, right? Right, uh-huh. So out of all of the years of women's college basketball, it's there's just, only been seven or eight teams yeah. that have went completely perfect. Well, Do you think South Carolina can etch their name for the first time in their school history, go completely oh yeah. perfect? They have, a, they have a shot, you know what I'm saying? Because they have talented players, and it's now I'm realizing as I watched their game over this yesterday, actually, um, against Tennessee, it's not all located on Aaliyah Boston. It's located on other players, too, and I believe it's Camila Cadesco, if I'm saying that name right, and another one as well. They've been finding ways to make plays for South Carolina. And, you know, I think they're still, they could possibly win it here, Crook. I mean, but a team that really got my attention on the women's side is Iowa. They really have. I mean, they played against Ohio State in the Big Ten game, and they scored 105 points. And Caitlin Clark can play. Like, she is, I mentioned this on my podcast here, Down to the Minute. Please tune into that as well. Give a shout-out to my podcast. Um, you know, so, but Caitlin Clark, to me, reminds me of kind of the female version of Steph Curry, how she plays. She can shoot the three ball. She can make plays. She can pass the ball all over the place. And Iowa is a team to watch. I think looking at that side, they got Virginia Tech at the moment as the one spot. I think Iowa could be Virginia Tech. If they met head-to-head, how they're playing right now, the confidence Iowa's playing with is huge. But that's a team I can't sleep on. Kruk, you know about me and Stanford, right? We've talked about it in the past. But guess what? I am off the Stanford train. The bandwagon. I Now, listen, I am off the Stanford train. You know why? Because they did not pan out well when they did in the Pac-12 championship. And that scares me going into tournament play, right? When you lose in the quarterfinals, especially against a team – that's underrated, Lori. Washington State actually won the Pac-12 championship, and right now they got them located as a sixth spot in the bracket. So that scares me a little bit with Stanford. So if I had to choose a team right now, it's it's a battle between still with me with UConn and South Carolina. Yeah. I think it's a battle between one of those two. I mean, UConn right now is in that Seattle 4 region right now. But, again, Iowa could beat UConn too. So that's another team I'm watching as we go on. But I'm going to go with South Carolina just because how they're playing. Well, their, their defense is playing well. Everyone else is playing well. And even when times were getting tough for them in that championship game, they found a way to come together, and they still won by 20 points. You know, you talked about mm-hmm. Iowa, and I love talking about my family. They're, they're like, obviously, family is everything for me. And my sister, when she was in high school, she was a senior. So back in 2018, it might have been this. Yes, it was the spring of 2018. She went down to state as a center slash forward for the three-point contest. And she made it all the way to the final round, right? Wow. And she ended up, I believe she was either tied or beat by a girl by the name of Kylie Fierbach. And why is she important? Because she plays for Iowa. She's number four on the Iowa team. And, like, my sister, who didn't shoot a whole lot of three-pointers in her career, went toe-for-toe with a Division One three-point sniper in Kylie Fierbach. So... I still want UConn to win it, but I would not be upset. 
if Iowa won it. The only team that I'm currently sitting and I'm just like, I don't want to see them win it is South Carolina because I just feel like South Carolina is too no. cocky. Like, they have talent. They have everything they need. But right. they're not taking the mentality of this is work. You know, they're not taking the mentality of show up to work, get the work done. They're taking the mentality of we are them. You better be afraid of us. So, Yeah, but do you think, I mean, obviously, you know, dynasties have happened, right? We saw with UConn women's basketball. I mean, granted, you might not say they were the level of cockiness. But when you're up to being that standard, you kind of have that confidence in yourself. Yeah, And I think that's what South Carolina is exuding is, I wouldn't say it's just straight, just cockiness, what they have. I think it's just they have a confidence belief they can win every game. And I think that's going to be important, especially as they go into the tournament, that that's a team that you don't want to face. They're basically the new UConn right now. South Carolina is. And so people got to understand oh. that. I think they are. They are the new UConn. Back-to-back hot takes yeah. in one podcast? No, I'm saying it. Right now, They I'm being they are because they got players – they have they're undefeated right now, and how they play is very well what happened back in the day with UConn. So, I. So one word answer, Max. Does UConn go undefeated? Or pardon me, not UConn. Does South Carolina go undefeated? Do they go? I believe thirty six and zero, undefeated. Yes or no? I'm gonna say no, but it's I wouldn't be surprised. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying it's because it, it's always tough to go undefeated. I, I guess what I'm getting at, my point is, is how they're playing right now shows they are that dominant team. And granted, going undefeated in any season is, you know, really tough and hard. And it's almost the level of, like, a low percentage. Right? We're talking, like, a couple of teams have done that ever in their career and lifetime. Eight teams, actually, have done it. Thanks for my man for helping me out. Um, so I'm going to say no, but I still want to see how they play as the tournament goes on because right now they look unstoppable. Dylan Mendoza, does South Carolina go undefeated, yes or no? I say yes. Bold def- yes. Uh, bold, very bold. I say yes. Their, their defense and their offense just very, very – it's there. They, they could use it, and they, they've been using it throughout these games. I do have a feeling that they are going to go undefeated this year. All right, and then moving into our last topic, we're talking about biggest movies that are going to drop in 2023. This is going to be our fun topic. Max, um, have you had enough time to look over this, or do you want me to start with my movie? Go ahead. You start off. Right? I'm going to start off with John Wick 4. The first John Wick, absolute huge raving. Keanu Reeves saved his career with that movie. John Wick 2 was even bigger. John Wick 3... Kind of fell off the bus. People weren't as big a fan of it, but I feel like John Wick 4, they're going to come back, and it's going to be a good one because now you have the tension between John Wick and the entire society of assassins that he's trying to get through as well as him versus his own friends from movie 1 and 2. So I think that'll be a good one. And my honorable mention is going to be Creed 3. I saw Creed 3 this past weekend. I thought it was a fantastic movie. If this is how they end the Creed franchise, I would not be upset because I thought it was a great job. But Michael B. Jordan's still young, and there are plenty of people that he can box. So, Max, what movie well, you Well, I mean, listen, I actually want to watch that movie, so glad you didn't spoil anything or do anything for it. I might watch it here in a week. Um, going to another Jonathan Majors movie in Ant-Man and the Wasp. I kind of like the Quantumania movie a lot. I thought, you know, how Marvel is leading into their dimension of, you know, with King the Conqueror, which is obviously the main evil person in the movie. Um, you know, I think 
is just very interesting to watch. And they're gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how the franchise keeps going with Marvel. And I thought they did a really good job of how they used Jonathan Majors and Paul Rudd together. Like they seemed like they were both connected as the movie went on. And I thought that was very cool to watch. And I like just the whole energetic scenes too as well when they got into the fight scene. So to me that was one of my favorite movies and I mean I was gonna mention Creed Three, but I you know I haven't watched it yet, so I really do want to watch it. So you know, I can't wait to see that. But Mendoza, what about you, man? I am going to take Spider-Man into across the Spider-Verse. Oh, I forgot oh, about that one. Oh, that okay. Yeah, um, that is, I forgot about that one too. That's that a good one. That's, I feel, that's I feel like it's gonna be a good movie. Yeah, that, that is. Really I do like the Miles Morales yes. animated movie. The first one was amazing. Oh, amazing, yeah. immaculate movie. I absolutely love that movie. Dude, the soundtrack though. Yeah. Whew. One of the best soundtracks in, in the movies made. I feel like this movie's just gonna be great. I mean, enough said. Yeah, enough said. Just gonna be great. There the, you go, Craig. The first one was <laughs> the first one was great. Why not the second one be great? I mean, any of the Spider-Mans, right? They've kind of just been uphill as they've gone on, right? Absolutely. I mean, we've already seen it with No Way Home. It's already got the reaction. Obviously, having Toby and Andrew come back, and I think believe they're going to try to make another Amazing Spider-Man one. I believe, isn't that right, Chris? Yeah. Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, it was I, in the I works. I heard something about it. Yeah, they had they had an Andrew Garfield one yeah. in the works because they were going to introduce Sinister Six. I'm right. breaking my nerd out, so if anybody gets <laughs> confused, just this is me being a nerd because I like comic books and superheroes. They were going to break out the Sinister Six being Electro, Rhino, Doc Ock, uh, the Vulture, and then a couple of other ones as well as the I Green think, Goblin. I think Morbius was one of them. Morbius, yeah. Well, because was, Spider-Man, in, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man was supposed to come out in Morbius. I don't yes. know if y'all heard that. Yeah, no, because it was in the same like universe timeline yes. area that, that had like Oscorp and everything yes, showing. So. Yes. And but there was also supposed to be another Sam Raimi. Yeah, I'm saying it right. Uh, Toby McGuire. There's supposed yeah. to be a Spider-Man four for him. I, if that happens, man, I can't wait to see it again. Dude, he was. I know there's gonna be a Tom Holland movies. Yeah, he's gonna yeah. do another mm-hmm. Spider-Man for sure. So That's... just lay it on the line. No, no disrespect to anybody. Who is your Spider-Man? Toby. It's it's Toby McGuire. It's just he's just to me. He's just the he's the original, right? I mean, he's just. He's got, and also what's different for him too is, it's in his body how he shoots his webs as well. Yeah. And what Andrew and, and um, Tom had to do, which we kind of realized in No Way Home when they had that fun scene together. I think that's just a cool feature to have in the storyline between all like the villains he's faced, I think is more interesting to me than the ones that we've seen with um, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. Me would probably be Andrew Garfield. It's a little different than... Tom Holland Spider-Man and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. There's two complete different Spider-Mans. I mean, uh, the universes that they were in. Uh, Tobey Maguire actually, I mean, uh, Andrew Garfield, excuse me. He actually made his own web when he was uh, facing Dr. What's his name? Uh, the uh, lizard the guy. Lizard, lizard, yeah. Dr. Connors. Dr. Sure. Connors, there you go. Nerd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, shout out to my dad. That's where I get it from. I know he'd be listening. (laughs) That was probably one of the best movies. I think that was the Amazing Spider-Man one or the first one. The Amazing Spider-Man two is also a great movie. But my uh, Garfield is yeah my best Spider-Man. For well, sure, my my Spider Man is gonna be have to be Andrew Garfield. I grew up with Tobey Maguire and I respect the movies a ton, but. In the actual comics, in the actual Spider-Man, he does not shoot webs out of his wrist. So that was because Sam Raimi went that way. I was like, okay, that's an interesting twist. 
And, you know, in Spider-Man 2, he actually had the web blockage because of his focus yeah. and yeah. whatnot, but... Things, in experiences, yeah. Yeah, in Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Mans 1 and 2, he, you know, was an actual, you know, engineer, and he, like, created his own stuff while still being a photographer. They kind of just dropped all of the, you know, engineering and science part, if you will, out of the first, you know, trilogy of Spider-Mans with Tobey Maguire, and they focused on him being more of a photographer even though that is his main job he is still True. super smart he is he is oh, a yeah. smart person so i'd have liked to seen web shooters and you know something we really haven't seen until the tom holland with the tony stark help was the spider gadgets like spider-man yeah. just doesn't just shoot straight webs he has you know all different sorts right. of gadgets so yeah that's the cool part about tom holland's but i also take it as i like people that are more how they started originally right yes think about it as a tom holland like we're noticing in probably future in the franchise not having all that stuff together and if you think about it with andrew garfield i kind of liked how he was overall then i look at like how the movies were portrayed right i think the original spider-mans were more better promoted out to people than the amazing spider-man's out true and true. i think when you look at it the villains overall in Amazing Spider-Man were not as good as the ones in the original one. I mean, if you had to choose between Lizard and Electro compared to Don't Green, Green Goblin, Goblin. I was, oh, Green Goblin at the end a little bit. Yeah. that's true. Um, but Green Goblin with William Dafoe, he was amazing. Um, amazing. Doc Ock, Alfred Molina, and then Venom at the end with um Sandman too mixed into Tophie that. Tophie Grace and yeah. um, so Church. Uh, his last name starts with Church. Typhoon. Yeah. But, we all remember what he looks like and all. Yeah. Those villains to me were more like people will get them more than the ones than the Amazing Spider-Man. So that's why I guess I choose the original one more than the Amazing One Spider-Man series because of that aspect. All right, well, we're running late. Um, crunch time, episode 48. We love having you. Tell your friends, tell your dogs, tell your cats, tell your mices, tell your aunts, nephews, uncles, nieces, whoever. Tell somebody... And we'll see if we can keep it going. This is 48. Let's see if we can make it all the way to 50. That's halfway oh, to 100, man. So, uh, Jake Krugenberg, Dylan Mendoza, Max Williams, Mad Max, we're going to sign off. Everybody have a great day and have a great week. Want to stay up to date on all Crunch Time episodes? Make sure to subscribe and follow on Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube.